Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about radiation therapy for breast cancer patients with Dr. Mina Moran. Dr. Moran is a professor of therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, Mina, maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. So I wear many hats, um, but first and foremost, I identify myself as a radiation oncologist who takes care of breast cancer patients. Um, And then I hold a lot of different um, administrative and um, roles on um, committees and and organizations that um, basically are um, organizing um, standards and um, policies for breast care across the country. So let's start with what I think is oftentimes a confusing issue for many people, and that is, what's the difference between radiology, like a radiologist, and therapeutic radiology or a radiation oncologist? I find that sometimes people get those two terms confused. Can you help help us to understand the differences? Sure. That's an excellent question, actually. And it is true that um, even my patients will say radiology oncologist or uh, variations of that. So a radiologist is um, someone who does diagnostic um, imaging. And that can include mammograms, MRIs, CAT scans, PET CTs, um, bone scans, that kind of thing. A radiation oncologist is actually someone who delivers high energy x-rays, which are radiation, but they're at a much higher level of uh, radiation than um, with uh, the the diagnostic um, levels of, of x-rays. And, and what we do is we use that for therapeutic purposes and uh, treat primarily cancer, but also some benign diseases as well. So the, the other question that I want to kind of get off the table right at the outset is many patients also are confused about the differences between radiation and chemotherapy, often thinking that these are the same. Can you clarify the differences between the two and maybe a little bit about how they're different in terms of, first of all, what the objective of the modality is, and second, the side effects that each of them carry? Sure. So chemotherapy um, or systemic therapy, generally speaking, is um, when, when something is administered either by mouth or through the vein and um, actually goes throughout your whole body, your whole system. Um, And that's why it's called systemic chemotherapy or systemic therapy. It also includes the broader umbrella of these targeted agents and and, um, endocrine therapy as well. Um, All of them have the ability of of circulating throughout your bloodstream and um, uh, affecting any cells that might um, be uh, anywhere where blood transverses in the body, which is pretty much, you know, throughout the body. Radiation, on the other hand, is a very focused high energy x-ray beam. And the purpose of the radiation is really just to uh, primarily 
um, eradicate or to kill off any microscopic or macroscopic um, disease in the area where the beam is targeted. So for example, for breast radiation, um, after, for example, when someone has a lumpectomy or breast conserving surgery and their primary tumor in the breast is removed, we would target the whole breast um, area so that um, the radiation can eradicate any um, microscopic cells that might be left behind after surgery. And that has been shown to diminish the, the chances of the cancer coming back within the breast. So, so that leads us to this whole foray of, of the discussion that we'll have in terms of radiation oncology as it plays a role in breast cancer. So, one of the areas in which radiation plays prominently in the treatment of breast cancer patients is after lumpectomy or breast conserving surgery, as you mentioned. And I find that another question that often comes up for patients is this, why do I need radiation? If the surgeon already removed the cancer and got a nice clean rim of tissue all the way around, isn't the cancer gone? Why would I need radiation to presumably normal tissue? Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good question that patients do ask a lot. And um, so it's not intuitive, but despite the fact that the um, primary tumor has been removed with a three-dimensional circumference of normal um, unaffected um, breast tissue as well, what we know from looking at uh, mastectomy specimens um, from patients uh, years ago that have passed away of breast cancer is that the primary tumor um, has little tiny microscopic tentacles of disease that can extend as far as three, four centimeters away from the primary tumor. So despite the fact that the surgeon is re removing the primary tumor with the margin, um, there, there is uh, a, a high chance of, of having microscopic disease in about 30 to 40% of all breast cancer patients. And that's what the radiation is actually targeting. Which then brings up the question, well, if there are these tentacles of disease or the possibility of microscopic disease in the rest of the breast, wouldn't I just be better off to have a mastectomy? I mean, how can it be that breast conserving surgery and mastectomy are equivalent in terms of survival um, when there still is potential for disease? Right. So, um, so they've done, you know, several large randomized studies where they've taken women with um, breast cancer with early stage breast cancer and randomize them to either a lumpectomy or breast conserving surgery or lumpectomy plus radiation versus mastectomy. And what you consistently see throughout all of these studies is that the survival outcomes are the same, but that when you do the lumpectomy alone, that the risk of the cancer coming back is significantly greater. So whether you choose to do a mastectomy or breast 
um, conservation really is just, it is a personal choice and it's up to the individual patient. But a lot of women think it's better to do a mastectomy and that's just not the case. Outcomes ultimately are are the same in terms of, of survival. And the issue for an individual patient would be do I want to conserve my breast? Do I want to keep my breast? Doing a mastectomy is a much larger surgery. There's the issue of asymmetry and, and then thinking about you know um, reconstruction and uh, contralateral prophylactic mastectomy. So there's a lot of uh, additional issues that need to be thought about in the mastectomy realm. And I think that that's something that patients... Uh, struggle with, especially when they're been given a new diagnosis of a breast cancer. So um, I think it's just important that patients know that the ultimate survival rates are the same, whether you have the entire breast removed or whether you have the tumor removed and then receive the radiation um, to the breast. The difference being that if you just remove the tumor and don't do radiation, then your risk of it coming back in the breast is higher. Which then leads us to, okay, so tell me about the radiation. How, how is it delivered? How much is it? How often do I have to come for the treatments? How long are the treatments? And what are the side effects? Oftentimes people will ask, you know, will my hair fall out? Will I get sick? What about all of those questions? Sure, sure. So um, again, radiation is a high energy x-ray beam. Not only do we use it in the breast conservation setting, but we also use it after mastectomy in higher risk patients, for example, those that have uh, involved lymph nodes um, to eradicate microscopic disease um, it, you know, along the chest wall and in the nodal regions. Um, so what it does is it affects the... Um, rapidly dividing cells or the DNA of rapidly dividing cells. And that's what cancer cells are. They're, they're rapidly dividing. And so it has the ability to affect the cancer cells more than it does normal tissue. And that and that's how it works. Um, I like to tell patients that it's kind of like taking a jackhammer, opening up a perfect looking car and just basically, um, you know, kind of trashing it and the engine and you know you wouldn't necessarily and then if you close close the the um the engine up you wouldn't necessarily know that there's an issue with the car until you try to turn it on and that's basically what happens with the radiation it affects the dna of the cancer cells more than it does the normal cells and so if the cells try to um reproduce at any point down the road you realize the engine is damaged and they're not able to do that. And that's how the radiation um, decreases the chance of the cancer coming back. So just to clarify, are you saying that if a patient gets radiation therapy, they can never get a recurrence? Um, no, it, there's always, there are always ways in which, you know, um, uh, uh, it's never a hundred percent in terms of how uh, efficacious it is, but it but it it does diminish the recurrence rate significantly, and and particularly these days with the use of additional agents such as endocrine therapy, um, and some patients that are getting hormone uh, getting um, uh, chemotherapy, we see that the that the recurrence rates are in the single digits, so um, it, it's it's pretty low. So tell us about 
what there, there's always a price to pay in terms of getting any benefit. And, and I think all of us know that just in terms of not just medicine, but, but life in general. So tell us about um, the side effects of radiation. How often do you need to get these treatments? How many treatments are there? Uh, is it painful? Do I lose my hair? Do I get sick? Uh, what can I expect? Sure. So as far as the um, way radiation is delivered, it's delivered on a daily basis. It's fractionated. So it's delivered on a daily basis over a period of time. And the the biology behind that is that it allows the normal tissue cells to recover and the cancer cells don't have the ability to recover. Um, so it's given over a period of days or weeks. Now, typically in the breast conservation setting, it's given over five weeks to the whole breast. And then sometimes we deliver a what we call a boost, a smaller area to where the lump um, was removed. Um, nowadays, with the... Um, newer studies that are being done in, in, in an effort to try to uh, reduce treatment burden on patients, we are actually shortening that, um, and they're, they're ongoing in investigations to shorten that course of radiation from five to six and a half weeks um, down to, you know, anywhere from uh, two to three, four weeks, and, and also down to one week, um, depending on the patient. So you have to qualify for it. But but there is some promising data that e we can even do it in as short as one week. So as far as side effects, generally, the side effects are related to where we're targeting. So for the breast or the chest wall, it's um, primarily just that localized area. And they will have, uh, patients will have most commonly fatigue and skin reaction. And the skin reaction is kind of like a sunburn. Um, as, 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 as far as long-term side effects, again, it's related to where the beam um, actually intersects with the body and the normal tissue. And so besides having chronic um, changes in the skin or scar tissue, um, there are there is a small chance that they can have um, problems with their wound. There, there's a small chance of having uh, lung uh, issues. Um, most uh, commonly, it's um, something called pneumonitis, where uh, the lung can get a little inflamed just in the area where portion of lung sees radiation, um, not life-threatening, usually treated with a short course of steroids, um, often asymptomatic. Uh, and then the heart, obviously, for left-sided patients in particular, is um, sometimes in the path of the beam. And so we have to be um, very careful to make sure that we minimize the radiation dose to the heart, and we have techniques to do that. And so the long-term heart issues um, have significantly diminished over the last several decades. All right. Well, we're, we're going to pick up this conversation right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about radiation therapy for breast cancer with my guest, Dr. Mina Moran. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, where a wide spectrum of advanced strategies for the diagnosis and treatment of gynecologic cancers are offered. To learn more, visit YaleCancerCenter.org slash G-Y-N-O-N-C. The American Cancer Society estimates that nearly 150,000 people in the U.S. will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer this year alone. 
When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable, and men and women over the age of 45 should have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Patients with colorectal cancer have more hope than ever before thanks to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for colorectal cancer. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Mina Moran. We're talking about radiation therapy for breast cancer patients. And right before the break, Mina, you had mentioned some of the side effects that uh, people can get with radiation in terms of skin toxicities, a little bit of dryness, a little bit of redness. It might uh, interfere with the wound a little bit. Um, you had mentioned things like pneumonitis um, and avoiding the heart. Some of those sound not so bad. Um, some of those sound a little scary. Tell us about how you as radiation oncologists um, try to minimize those side effects, particularly in terms of avoiding the, the lung and the heart and so on. Sure. So we've actually come a really long way in terms of um, uh, minimizing the amount of heart and lung in the field. Years ago, when, when patients were treated, it was just a tangential beam that kind of skimmed the chest wall, encompassed the whole breast or the chest wall, and, and whatever was underneath was inevitably in the beam. Now we have the ability to um, actually plan and modulate the beam so that it is tailored for each individual patient's body. So what we do is we get a CAT scan um, at the time of treatment planning, and we call that a treatment planning CAT scan, and the whole process is called a simulation. Um, we have the patient come in, we kind of outline the areas that we, we want to cover, and the patient will put their arms up on the table, which will be exactly how they'll be in the treatment position. We'll put them through the scanner, and then we use that scan, which is not a diagnostic scan, but is, is purely just for treatment planning will actually outline the the breast tissue or the chest wall and the lymph nodes um, at every incremental three millimeter slice um, in order to then change the the um, way the beam actually um, uh, intersects with normal tissue so that we're blocking as much normal tissue as possible. So that's one thing that has been a major advancement for us is three-dimensional treatment planning and the use of beam modulation. The second thing is that we use um, deep inspiration breath hold technique, which is um, a, a very, very precise way of for us to have the patient take a deep breath. When you take a deep breath, what happens is that your chest wall moves away from your heart, and that creates a space between the heart and the chest wall and allows us to get those tangential beams to go through and minimize the dose to the heart. The machine um, 
only turns on when the patient is in that breath hold position. And there are multiple, multiple um, lasers on the patient's skin three-dimensionally that monitor exactly when that patient is in the precise breath hold position, um, which has to be within uh, three millimeters of, of the position they were in at the time of the CT scan. So, It takes longer to deliver that treatment because the patient can only hold their breath for 20 seconds at a time, and then they take a break, and then they hold their breath again, but it ensures that the the, um, radiation is delivered in such a way that the the heart is away from the chest wall. And then um, we have other techniques also that uh, we've been using, such as cardiac blocks and prone positioning. Those are other kind of um, technical uh, tricks that we've used to also minimize the amount of uh, heart dose. And the good news from all of that is that based on our um, data, the the progress that we've made from a technical standpoint in minimizing the amount of heart and lung in the field has really benefited in decreasing the cardiac toxicity and the lung toxicity that breast cancer patients experience in the long term. So that is data that is, you know, um, uh, well known and has been established. So, Mina, I mean, that really sounds incredible. And for people who are listening, it may sound really technologically quite advanced in terms of how you can plan this and have lasers that identify precise landmarks on a patient within three millimeters and deliver the dose precisely. One question that people who may be listening may be asking themselves is, is that widely available? I I can't say that it's available at small remote centers that are, you know, private um, necessarily. I think most academic centers have it. And especially now that so many institutions are acquiring smaller hospitals and smaller practices, it's being standardized so that it it is recommended, for example, by the NCCN as a, a, a method to strongly consider for um, decreasing the cardiac dose. So I think it it is becoming more and more prevalent. Okay, so patients should ask their radiation oncologist wherever they're being treated um, whether these techniques are available to them. Is that right? Sure. So the other question that I have for you is, before the break, you were mentioning that the dosage of radiation, how it's delivered, how long that treatment is, has really morphed over time. And what used to be five and a half, six weeks can now be as little as even one week. So a couple of questions on that. First of all, can you tell us a little bit more about the different um, the different treatment plans in terms of the one week versus three weeks versus six weeks? Are these equivalent? Um, and are there specific patients who benefit more from one or the other? I mean, because patients might be listening to this thinking, why on earth wouldn't anybody just do one week if it was as good as six weeks? Um, so... So as I mentioned earlier, the, the standard, you know, for the breast conservation trials and for the post-mastectomy trials was five weeks to the whole breast or to the chest wall, followed by a boost, plus or minus a boost to the localized area. And um, subsequent to that, there have now been um, more than four randomized trials that have looked at 
using what we call hypofractionated radiation, which means giving a larger daily dose. So it then shortens the amount of time. The total dose is actually lower, but because you're delivering a higher daily dose, you're you're able to um, shorten the overall treatment duration. And that um, those studies all looked at three weeks and have found now we have long-term data showing that three weeks is just as efficacious as the five weeks um, in terms of not just of breast cancer control and the ability to eradicate those microscopic cells, but also more, just as importantly in terms of the toxicity, because the major concern has always been the toxicity of the treatment. We don't want to do harm to the normal tissue. And if we're giving a higher daily dose, are we... Um, uh, going to damage the normal tissue to the point where we're not, it, it's not going to be able to recover. And so these studies have shown us that we can deliver um, the dose in three weeks very safely. Now, the in terms of the, the slightly faster regimens, and they're ironically called the fast and the fast forward regimens, um, there are two of them. One of them is five fractions that is delivered once a week for five weeks. And then the other one is five fractions delivered every day for one week. And those also look very, very promising. We are using them um, at Yale and other um, uh, institutions and places are also uh, using them as well, particularly with COVID and wanting to minimize the number of times a patient has to come in and out of a medical facility. Um, but the the one-week regimen um, only has five-year data. And so that's one of the limitations. The other thing, um, as you asked about, was was why wouldn't every patient you know, want to do this if they qualified? Well, the, the issue is that they have to qualify. And so because the daily dose is so much higher, we have to do it safely. And there are pretty stringent um, dose constraints that we have to follow for the normal tissue in terms of the lung, the heart, the chest wall, all those things. And uh, uh, particularly in the setting of post-mastectomy or when there's nodes involved, those patients don't qualify because those studies didn't really um, include a lot of those patients. So right now it's primarily for whole breast, but if you qualify, there's really no reason to uh, not consider it um, as as you know, an alternative, but again, the data, the amount of data that we have is, is, um, you know, less robust, uh, than we do for the traditional, um, uh, three weeks or the five week regimens that we have. So let me just make sure that, uh, I understand this correctly. We have long-term data that the three weeks is equivalent to six weeks. So is it safe to say that Essentially, everybody should be treated now with the three-week regimen as opposed to the six weeks. So that that's a, that's excellent uh, question because yes, in terms of breast conservation, in terms of the mastectomy, they can be treated with the three-week course. The issue being that if they're going to have reconstruction, there's very little data and there's ongoing studies now looking at how these higher daily fractions and hypofractionated radiation affects reconstruction. So that's a big question mark and that's why it hasn't become the standard of care in the post-mastectomy setting. The other area where we don't have a lot of data, but I think you know enough that if the situation calls for it, 
we would do the three weeks is is when we're including regional nodes. So that's just a discussion with between the patient and the doctor. It's not the standard. It can be done. It, it is likely to be very safe, but um, there, there's a lot of variation in the practice for that, if that makes sense. Okay. So essentially, if you're a patient and you had a lumpectomy and you are node negative, you should be doing three weeks of radiation instead of six weeks. Is that fair? Uh, yes, absolutely. And then followed by a boost. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, and the one week, we don't have sufficient long-term data. So are people being treated with the one-week regimen as part of standard of care, or are there still clinical trials ongoing that patients should be asking their doctor about if they want to participate in that one-week regimen? So um, very quickly, the NCCN has said it can be considered as a, a modality for um, treatment. Right now, it really we're using it selectively in patients who really need to have it done in one week. More often, that we're using the once a week for five weeks, which is just as easy um, because that has 10-year data. So um, I, I think that they're both going to ultimately show to be very promising, but it, it's just about waiting for that data to mature a little bit. Dr. Mina Moran is professor of therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.